beginning in verse 7. Thank you. Before we read Ephesians 3:21, um, we started this new series, "The Glory of God in the in the Church," and what this series is is basically our picking that verse apart, specifically the first few words, "To Him be glory in the Church." So however many weeks we go, four, five, six, it's basically a running sermon of us digging and digging and digging and digging into those few words. To him be glory in the church. And so with that, let me read it. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Now, 2 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 7. This is a passage we looked at last Sunday night uh, quickly. And there, there's a little bit out of it that we will uh, gain from it again this Sunday. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. We will read through 4, chapter 4, verse 6. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed in must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Chapter 4, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, show us more of your glory. 
Show us more of your Son. And remind us and teach us of the light that you have shown within our hearts presently. And that the glory of God dwells among us as we are united to your Son. Teach us for the sake of your glory. Amen. All right. There was an eclipse this week. Anybody see it or was that out of our reach? I don't think anybody could have seen it around here because of the clouds. And there's another one coming next year. Um, Apparently it's going to be quite the chaos around here when it happens. But it's quite a phenomenon if you think about it. When you think about the size of the sun and the size of the moon, to think that the moon is the sun is 400 times larger than the moon. And it would take, let me make sure I get this correct, 64 million moons to fill the sun, yet it blocks out its light. Uh, I heard this week, I was reminded of something, a grace of God that I had been neglecting, and it was uh, an app that lets me hear biblical teaching basically 24-7, and I was reminded of a phrase um, that R.C. Sproul said, and that there has been an eclipse of God's glory. An eclipse of God's glory. But when we think about it, you would say, that's impossible. As glorious as God is, well, we think the same about the sun. But yet, it happens. What is eclipsing God's glory? We mentioned it last week, if you were here when we started this series. The thing that is eclipsing God's glory is the glory of man, which, yes, is infinitely smaller than the glory of God. But the one thing that I want us to focus on is not just the glory of man that is eclipsing God, because that's obvious, as someone said, sin, but what's most dangerous or concerning is the glory of man in the church. That should be our concern, our greatest concern. So as I said, the purpose of this series, to him be glory in the church. Right? Pretty straightforward. Uh, those are is, We're going to focus greatly. We've already focused greatly on the word glory, and we will continue. And we're going to then, starting today, focus on the word church. And the idea is for us to recover a biblical understanding of those two realities. To reform our thinking. To cleanse our minds and our hearts of misunderstanding, of darkness. Think of an eclipse. That's crept in. It's becoming more obvious as time passes that this is a problem that will always be until... Christ returns. As long as sin remains, there will be an attempt to eclipse the glory of God, and it will always be a problem for the church. Therefore, we must not stop working, seeking, recovering, reforming. We must not stop until the end. Glory. All right, so glory. We want to be reminded. I want to remind you. I want to introduce you if you've not known, if you've not seen, if you've not set your eyes on the glory of God. I want you to know the glory of God in this series. And this will be the third sermon on the glory of God. And I will continue to press upon you the glory of God and its importance because we must, as a church and individually, live to exalt His glory. 
I mentioned last week that that is the key to everything. That is the key that unlocks Christian living, Christian worship, Christian relationships, the glory of God. We want to put in its proper place God's glory and our exalting Him. How we do that? Well, as we lift up God, we want to make sure that we put down the glory of man. Not just put it down, but in the same way we handle sin, we put it to death. And then church, the word church, not not much different. I want us to know or understand or be reminded of how God has designed and called his church to do what I just said. To exalt the glory of God. He has, he has called out and designed the church to exalt his glory in all creations, in all creation. And we are going to narrow it down each and every Sunday and think about it in the context of this church, this local church. So quickly, just so we are reminded of where we were last week. And if you weren't here last week as well, know where we're coming from and help you to see where we're going. Last Sunday morning, we established that God's glory is primary. And it's preeminent. It's God's top priority, his glory. So it's man's top priority. Should be man's top priority. For this is what we're created for, the glory of God. That's why you're made in the image of God. Not just so that we have value or everyone can say, you're made in the image of God. No, it's so that in being created in his image, we would reflect his image and exalt his glory. The catechism we go through, I meant to do this question this week, but I skipped it. Um, the number, the first one is what's the chief end of man? What's the purpose of man? What are we here for? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's, ever, that's, not, that's not the chief end of a Christian. That's the chief end of a person, a human being, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And then in the evening last week, we took a closer look at the glory of God and sought to give it definition, which is a really hard thing to do. So we just read a lot of scripture, if you were here. Uh, I would recommend, if you were unable to make it, to go back and listen to that. But maybe I can... uh, I I, I, I got a definition, and it's horrible, but it's... um, There's three words that I want to define before I read it, because I don't want... If I tried to write it and give it to you with all the words that make sense, then it would be like three sentences long. So I, I, I've shortened it and I've used words that I want. I want. I will say for the rest of the time that I'm your pastor, I will say these words so we need, we need to make sure we know them. Manifest. When I say the word manifest, I mean – you watching? I manifested that. I made it appear. Right, so when you hear me say the word manifest, it means it appeared. Typically, being a, being manifest by God—that's typically how we think about it. Value, uh, pretty straightforward. But what something's worth, okay? And then the third one is intrinsic. Means that that worth comes from within, like it exists already within something, not. Not that it gets value outside of something, but that it already exists inside. So intrinsic is from within. Manifest, to make known or to express. Value, its worth. Intrinsic, something that is already existing from within. So God's glory is the manifestation of the value of his intrinsic character. I'm going to say it again. And we'll go back, and I'm going to say it a hundred times probably over the next four or five weeks. The glory of God is the manifest value of his intrinsic character. The intrinsic character of God, who God is, is infinite. This is sort of a rehash of Sunday night. Is <clears throat> infinite. And it's perfect. And when you put infinite and perfect together, what do you get? Holy. That that is the <coughs> prime definition of holy, infinite and perfect. Because what else? 
is infinite and perfect. Absolutely nothing. Therefore, God is holy, holy, holy. There's none beside him. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. What makes... uh, So, God is who he is inside... And I'm speaking in human terms. He doesn't. He's a spirit. He doesn't have an inside. But who he is, apart from anything else, is made known. And what is known is his glory, like a rose. A rose. When you think of a rose, what do you think of? You think of the petals. But a rose is all of the plant. The glory of that plant is the petals, right? No one, no one likes roses because the stem's green. Its beauty, its glory, its radiance is in the fruit, that which is expressed out from the plant. But it takes the whole plant to make that beauty. And so the rose, the petals, the flower is the glory of a rose. Think of the sun in the sky. Think of the magnitude of of all that's happening in the sun, the pressures, the temperatures, the gases, the the greatness, and it's all manifested in light that you see that was made 92 million miles away from you. That that sunbeam, that brightness is the glory of all that which is taking place within the sun in the sky. It is the expression, the manifestation of the value of what the intrinsic character that's god's glory god's holiness his purpose or his person his character is so great that his glory is deadly it's deadly to man and to creation moses show me your glory god said if you see my face you die that's the magnitude of god's glory in the Hebrew, we talked, we looked at the Hebrew word, the value, right? The worth of God's glory was expressed more in the idea of weight, crushing weight. In the Greek, it's more defined as a brilliant light, a blinding, burning light. But the odd thing about God's glory is that it can kill and it can give life. It can crush and it can exalt. It can be directed to reveal the grace of God to save sinners, but it also can be made known to reveal the justice of God and judgment towards sinners. And that's where we come into play. We as the church. Here is a summary slash outline of this morning and this evening, and I don't know if we'll get through it this evening as well, but here is a summary statement which also lay out our outline for the rest of our time. So we're thinking about the glory of God in the, in the church. Presently, God has revealed his glory to the church through Jesus Christ for the purpose of manifesting and spreading the knowledge of the glory of God through the church's pursuit of that glory. Now, I'll, I'll say it again, but here, I'm going to give you the three parts that come out of that. We have, a, we have the glory of God, which is present in the church. It is a present reality. And the glory of God is given to us. It's a present reality for a purpose. So present, purpose, and the final, the glory of God is the pursuit of the church. Present glory, purposed glory, pursued glory. Let me say the full statement of God. Presently, God has revealed his glory to the church through Jesus Christ for the purpose of manifesting and spreading the knowledge of the glory of God across the world through the church's pursuit of that very present glory. 
So, I had another passage. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. This is point number one. A present, okay, and I'll, uh, um, this is as far as we're going to go. Point number one, a present glory. The glory of God is a present glory. Ephesians 2, verse 19. Again, you might say, well, you're you're everywhere, Luke. You're in this place and that place. Again, I want you to understand, see this series as a sermon on to him be glory in the church in Jesus Christ from now on all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so imagine a six-week-long sermon, and there's a lot of passages to help us with that. Ephesians 2, and also understand that these two themes, realities, truths, the glory of God and the church are huge, and they're everywhere. So, yeah, we're going to be everywhere. Ephesians 2, 19. Um, Let's back up to... I want to distract us here with too much 13 but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, is where we really get to what we wanted to see. So then you, you, Christian, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you, Christians, it's plural, Christians, specifically he's talking to the church at Ephesus, but this is every church. You, Christians, are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So here's point number one. The glory of God is present right now in the church. And you know I like to ask questions. What is a church? Right? Now, again, this is sort of the heart of coming, uh, the Protestant Reformation. These questions were being asked um, because coming out of the Protestant Reformation, they were coming out of a, of a um, 1,500-year-old established church that had basically one rule and authority, and it, wasn't, it was turning out not to be Jesus. And so they were they were leaving, separating, and they had to figure that they had to go back into the scriptures and say, where did this go wrong? Right? What is a church? Because when you said church in the 1500s, you meant either Rome or Eastern Orthodox. That was basically it. But now you've got these churches starting to form outside of that. And then what is a church? They had to ask this question. And they came to a conclusion that a church is a is a is a is a group of people uh, that are rightly preaching the gospel and practicing Christ ordinances baptism and communion see that definition is concrete it's verifiable like you could go into a church and say hmm, I don't it doesn't sound like the gospel or did you see what's going on at the table like first corinthians right 
So that that definition is verifiable. You can see it. And most and most of all, after the Reformation, agreed that those were the marks of a true church. But I want to define it in a different way, still a biblical way, but less verifiable, less obvious to see with your eyes. Here's how I want us to define what a church is. A church is a group of people who have seen by faith the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it again. A church is a group of people who have seen by faith the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, how do we flesh it out? What do we mean by that? Well, that's where 2 Corinthians chapter 3 comes in. Now, let's go back there. And I, I put Ephesians 2 just in the back of your mind just so it's, it's, it's there <clears throat> as understanding. 2 Corinthians 3. I probably You probably didn't have to go there. I could probably just explain it. When Paul is explaining to the church at Corinth... The glory of the message of the gospel, which is the glory of Jesus Christ, which is the glory of God. He uses Moses in chapter 3, who, when Moses experienced the presence of God on Mount Sinai, when Moses experienced the presence of God in the tent of meetings or tabernacle, whatever we want to call it, whatever juncture in Exodus, when Moses would leave the presence of God... Paul is telling the the church at Corinth that his face shone brightly. And we read that last Sunday night. After Moses leaves the presence of God, the glory of God has shone so bright that his face shone, was bright. And it terrified the Israelites because they knew that Moses had been with God. Oh, that is a correct response to the glory of God. I can't go down that path today, but... If they were jovial or neglecting or not caring when they saw Moses come out of the tent of meetings, then they did not see the glory of God. When they saw Moses' face, the weight of the glory of God brought fear to Israel. So what did Moses do? He had to cover his face or put a veil over his face. Now, I'm going to be looking at verse 15, 16, 17, and 18 as I walk us through this here. But what does then, in contrast, Paul say about Christians? Because when he's talking about Moses, he's talking about the Israelites in the Old Covenant. And he's talking about how even that had glory. And how do we know that? Because Moses' face shone. We understand that. But he says, look at verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, you just became a Christian. Understand that. When one turns to the Lord, he's saying, when one becomes a Christian, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to I'm going to warn you that I saw something in this that I had not seen before. I did not see last Sunday night, and I pray, and I've prayed that I can explain to you the 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 light that has shown in my heart and mind as I read this, and there's a good possibility I'm just going to be a bumbling fool and not be able to communicate it very well. So, say a quick prayer that I can explain this to you. He says that we all, meaning Christians, are beholding the glory of the Lord. That tells us, number one, that it is a present glory, right? This isn't something that we we hope that we see or understand. But for the Christian, for the church, it is present. It has been made known, 
right? Because he says, we all, Christians, are beholding the glory of the Lord. And this glory is transforming all who behold it. And he says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now, what, what, what there's, there's something that he's saying in there that I don't think we can quite grasp unless we understand what beholding means in the Greek. Okay, Moses comes out. And he hides his face. He hides the glory of God. Okay? No one else is seeing it. It's hidden under the veil of one man, Moses. But for a Christian, it's already happening. The word beholding is the word, it's like looking at a mirror, okay? It's not the glory is over there and we're looking at it. This is the image I want you to think. Okay, you've got Israel and Moses. Moses is the only one with a glorious face, and he's hiding it from everyone. This room right now is made up of uh, Moses's, whose face should be shining. And not just... And so... When we're beholding the glory, not in this way of like we have seen it, but we see it in one another. It's a reflection. We're beholding it like in looking in a mirror or even on an individual level. If you examine your life, you ought to see and behold the glory of God because verse, the end of verse 18 For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Jump back to Ephesians 2. What is God doing to the church? He's making the church a temple. Imagine a building made of bricks. And those bricks are people. And God is building a temple. And what is he housing in that temple? The Spirit of God. Where the Spirit is, God is. And where God is, His glory is. The glory of God is present here. Let's not eclipse it. See, that gets us into that idea of purposed and pursued glory, which we'll come to. The glory of God, if you are calling yourself a Christian, you ought to see it in your own face. It ought to manifest in who you are. Where the Spirit of God is, there His glory is also. We, we, Ozark's Bible Church, Our dwelling place for the glory of God. And that was Ephesians 2. But if you can also look at 1 Corinthians and see a similar statement. Now your page is turning, so it's chapter 3. Verse 16. Now you know in... In um, English translations of the Bible, we don't have plural yous. We do in Fulton County, though, don't we? Y'all, right? That's a plural you. In, 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 in verse 16 and 17 of 1 Corinthians 3, wherever you see you, you could just include y'all. It's a plural Do you not know that you, the church at Corinth, all right? He's talking to a church, like a physical church, a local church. Do you not know that y'all are God's temple? I'm not going to do that again, but you get the point. That you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. And where God's spirit is, there his glory is. If anyone destroys God's temple, uh, 
and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Ooh, that looks like someone trying to eclipse the glory of God. And then he says, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. I want you to understand what makes God's temple holy. The presence of God. I'm, I'm going to be very redundant What makes God's temple holy? The presence of God and where he is, his glory has been made known. It is present. Exodus 29, we looked at it last week. Don't don't turn there. It says in Exodus 29, as they have established the tabernacle or they're establishing it, it says there, God says, I will meet with the people and it shall be sanctified, set apart, made holy by my glory. The glory of God makes holy this place. It makes holy your body. And we all collectively are being made into a temple. Now that that goes beyond these walls, right? To all true churches who, who, what was our definition? who gather together, a group of people gathering together, who have seen by faith, who are beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is the fullness of the temple. Is that last week we talked about universal and local church? Right. So what's a church? Well, we just said it. A church is a group of people who are beholding the glory of God because when they gather, when they gather, God is present And his glory dwells among them. Again, I've said a lot the last few weeks. I've said a lot. I've made the phrase or used the term individualistic. The Christian life, if you're stuck in individualistic Christianity, this sermon series will make no sense to you. What The epistles really fall, fall flat. If you read the epistles and you just think about how is this working out for me? Because every epistle, aside from maybe three, are written to a local church. And the majority of the yous are y'alls. And so we we cannot we cannot say, well, this isn't that important. It's just church business. No. That's the body of Christ. Made manifest. In this building. Alright. Let me remind you. Oh. We might ask the question then. If we think about the glory of God in the church. Well isn't God omnipresent? Doesn't the heavens declare the glory of God? Well, let me remind you of the, the quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. We had last week. Regarding the glory of God in the church. He says. in his uh, As he's preaching through Ephesians. There is nothing. That so proclaims the glory of God. As the Christian church. There's nothing that so proclaims the glory of God as the Christian church. So you mean to tell me, Martin Lloyd-Jones, that the church proclaims the glory of God greater than the Grand Canyon? Yes. Manifest the glory of God greater than driving through the Ozarks in, a, in the middle of a beautiful autumn? Absolutely. But then you have to ask the question, Why? And here it is, because the glory that is revealed in the church is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's the difference between the glory revealed in the Grand Canyon and the glory revealed in the face of Jesus Christ? Well, everyone can look at the glory that's revealed in the Grand Canyon and see, as we know Romans 1, that the creation reveals that there is divine power or there is a divine and powerful creator. That beautiful autumn tree tells you there is a divine and powerful creator. But the glory of God that's seen in the gathering of the people who have beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that glory that is seen in the Son of God reveals that there's not only a divine creator, but there is also a gracious and loving Savior. Big difference. Big difference. And presently, where does the glory of Christ dwell? In his body. The church. Jesus tells the Father, we read it, John 17, in his prayer, that he has given them 
not just the apostles, but those who would believe the words of the apostles, he has given them the glory. Jesus has given them the glory that he shares with the Father. That's got to weigh us down. That's got to tell us this is a big deal. That Christ didn't just come to save us out of hell, but to make known the name of God, the glory of God, and give to us the glory that they share with one another. And you're like, well, God not going to share his glory with anyone? You're absolutely right, but there's a little bit difference here. What dwells in you? God. In the Holy Spirit. So in closing, one more passage. Colossians chapter 1. I want to read this, make one point, and then read quickly a few points of application which will actually move us into our next sermon. Colossians 1.15. Read 15 through 20. He, so this is Jesus, okay? This is the Son of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things preeminent priority. And in him are all things and all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And John says that they saw his glory. Verse 20, and through him, Jesus, the Son of God, to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I want to suggest to you, this is my final point before we close with a few points of application. The cross is the greatest point of the manifestation of the glory of God. So you want to know when the greatest revelation or appearance of the glory of God has been in time It was at Golgotha. It was when Christ was pierced. Christ's crucifixion is the apex of God's glory revealed in history. Spurgeon in preaching on Galatians 6.14 in the verse says this, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spurgeon says this, Learn then that the highest glory of our holy religion is the cross. The history of grace begins earlier and goes on later. But in its middle point stands the cross of two eternities. This is the hinge of past decrees and future glories. This is the pivot. Now what makes the cross... The highest glory of Christianity. At a single moment in time, the glory of God was made known in his holy justice. The glory of God was manifest in and through the justice of God as he poured out his wrath upon his son. His holy anger and hatred of evil were proclaimed and made known as his son was crucified. And in that, the glory of God was proclaimed. That wouldn't make it that big of a a glory or apex of, of time or Christianity. But if it weren't for at the exact same moment as the glory of God is being proclaimed in his justice... 
At the exact same time, his glory was being made known through his love and grace. As he gave for our sake his son, that we, evil sinners, might be brought back to God. Our creator, the God of the universe, the glory of God was revealed. Every aspect of God was being manifest upon the cross. It is the apex of Christianity. And this is why Ephesians 3.21 says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Because there is no church, there is no glory within the church apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. For God has made known his glory through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ crucified. And God has delivered that good news, that glory to us. He has poured, I'm sorry, he has shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Some thoughts of application for us. This is our true north as a church. As a group of Christians, this points us in our direction, our purpose. This is the path we must take to exalt the glory of God, to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and then exalt Jesus Christ. This sets the tone for our worship. This makes our gathering heavenly. That's why we read Revelation 4 to begin with. Because when we gather together to worship, we gather together in a temple in the presence of the holy glory of God. Thirdly, this lets us know how we are to glorify God, not just as individual Christians, but as members of the body, which you express here at Ozarks Bible Church. And finally, since Christ crucified is the highest glory and our duty our privilege is to make known the glory of God. We must seek to set forth Christ. Spurgeon concluded his point his ex- with an exhortation to his hearers, and I extend it to us today. Here's what he said. Let us come to the cross this morning. There's nowhere else to go. Come to the cross. Let's think of it. Till each one of us in the power of the Spirit of God shall say, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we seek Him not only this morning, but every morning, every hour, every day. May we all do and be in pursuit of the glory of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ. May we live moment by moment in the hopeful expectation as we pursue this present glory of God that one day we will visibly see the fullness of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. On that blessed day, we will see the face of God that Moses asked to see, that Israel was fearful of. 
one day we will see him as he is, the fullness of the glory revealed. And as we view it, as we see it, the completion of our salvation will be full. And the grace of God will fill us and we will receive the glory of Jesus Christ. Forever. Amen. Father, may we feel the weight of your glory. May we be stunned by its brightness. And may we know that it it comes to us through our crucified Lord. But Father, stir up in us the hope that that the glory that we see by faith will soon be shown to us with our glorified eyes. To you be glory in Ozarks Bible Church. To you be glory in every Christian that sits under the, the hearing of your word. To you be glory in every moment of our lives. Father, to you be glory when we stand up and sing. Lord, to you be glory when we gather together next weekend. Lord, to you be glory when we sit at our fellowship table and break bread together. Lord, to you be glory when we gather around your table and remember the giving of your son and his imminent return. Lord, to you be glory as we baptize new believers. Lord, to you be glory as we look to guard the gospel. Lord, to you be the glory when we guard one another's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's grab our black hymnals, turn to 133, and let's proclaim, all glory be to Christ.